0: Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Well, here we are. Welcome. We are in Cana. A husband is throwing the party of his life. Any dads or moms ever do that for their kids? Yeah, right? You spend way more money than they ever thought you should, but that's all right. It's the party of their life because now they're with the love of their lives. And so here we are, it's the beginning of a new life, uh, of a man with his wife, his bride becomes his wife, and at this party, Mary is just there, and Jesus is invited and shows up, and it's the beginning of the party, the beginning of this reception, and already there is a problem. The husband is about to do something he is going to do for the rest of his married life. He's going to let his bride down. He will fail to plan correctly. He will underestimate the cost. He might even be a source of disappointment and dishonor. Today, specifically, it's he didn't order enough wine for this party. Like many husbands, he doesn't even know it. Maybe that's true, maybe it's not. Maybe he doesn't even know what's going wrong in the kitchen. But Mary, John tells us is there, Mary knows the problem in the kitchen. She's in the kitchen when the wine is failing which means that the wedding reception is also about to be failing. So imagine this, running out of chicken or beef after just a few minutes, a handful of people have gone through the line, the beverages are all gone. Think, in our culture, how much shame that would cause. Like, these kids getting married, they would remember this and people would remember, that was the wedding where I didn't get any food, right? It It would be horrible. How much more in that culture when the wedding reception wasn't one day, it was seven days? And here it is, they're out of food. It's horrible. Right, so you know the story. Right, this John chapter 2, you know it. Mary knows the situation, and somehow it seems that she has something to do with it. And she can help, she can supervise. And now the wine is failing. She has options, she can send it to the market. She can send it to the groom's family. Those people didn't provide enough anyway. She can send anywhere, but instead she sends to Jesus. And she says to Jesus, Jesus, they have no wine. Jesus and his six disciples are guests at this party. They're not in charge of the food. It's not Jesus' business. His business is to talk and laugh and sing, and dance, and maybe as a new rabbi to bless, and to pray, and to teach perhaps. But his mother pulls him into the kitchen and says, they've got no wine. Of course, we know that, that Mary knows who Jesus is. Mary has been treasuring up in her heart for these decades who Jesus is. The angels, as we know from our nativity, you heard it so many times, uh, the, the angels said through the shepherds that today in the city of David, a Savior is born to you, Christ the Lord. That was conveyed to her by the shepherds. Her, the angel appeared to her and said, The child you're going to bear is the Son of the Most High. She knows. The angel appeared to Joseph and said, This baby will be called Emmanuel, God with us. So Jesus just came on the scene as a rabbi, as an official rabbi. And so she's wondering look, my family, my friends, These people need your help. Jesus, is it your time? So she pulls and asks that. And and Jesus gives a confusing answer, which I won't comment on, other than to say, after this answer that Jesus gives, Mary says to the workers, to the volunteers, do whatever he tells you. Good words, right, from Mother Mary? Do whatever Jesus tells you. Jesus to the rescue. And as I said, you know the story, right? Right? The phrase, water into wine. Have you ever used that phrase? It's sort of a cliche. It's like, yeah, whenever you need a miracle, water into wine. Okay, let's get this. We need it. Where are we going to pay the light bill? We need water into wine. But at this moment in Cana, it's not a cliche. When Jesus says, fill the jars with water, it's not a cliche. It's confusing. Imagine being one of those volunteers. Jesus comes into the kitchen and his mom tells you Listen to him. All right, good so far. He looks like a a man who knows what he's doing. We need some wine. Maybe he has some connections that we don't know about. He'll figure this out. And as you often tell yourself in in stressful moments, just breathe. Everything is going to be okay. But instead, he says, fill the jars with water. Fill up the holy water jars. Fill it up, 120, 180 gallons, whatever it is, no problem. You think to yourself, I've got nothing else to do for the next three hours. It's not like there's hundreds of guests here who need food and drink. No problem, I'll just fill up these water jars for the next three or four hours. But you do it. You fill the jars with water, and the whole time you're thinking, we don't need water for people to dip their fingers in and and say a little prayer. We need wine So sometime later, Jesus comes back into the kitchen. He sees the jars filled up and he says, good. Now, draw out some water and take it to the master of the feast. Just think for a minute. What would their faces look like right at this moment? They're thinking, this is is water out of the wash tub. We're going to take it to the host and see if it's okay with him. He has bigger problems than approving the taste of the water. So, you're probably thinking to yourself, this is stupid. This is a waste of time. We should just close down. We don't have enough wine. We're going to run out any moment. This is just plain old water. And then you talk with your colleagues. Take the water. No, you take it. No, you take it. I'm not taking it to him, right? So you're finally like, okay, fine, let's go. He'll take it. And then you, you look without looking. You ever do that? You look without looking, you're like, you don't want to be obnoxious because you know it's going to go bad, but you want to watch, right? If you had a phone back then, you would have it out, right? The host tastes the water from the washtub. And it's the best wine ever. He brings the groom over and he's wondering, why did you save this heirloom wine until the very end? You should have brought this out at the beginning. Family, dishonor, averted. Party, restored. The end. We know there's more, right? All that is true. Party, restored, but not the end. We know that there's more here. Jesus does a whole lot more than fix a bad wedding reception. He does this, John tells us, as a sign for his six disciples, for all the disciples here. We know that John was at this wedding in Cana. Stick with me here. He saw this sign and he might have left speechless. I mean, would you? Would you? If you knew where this wine came from, would you leave that wedding reception speechless? I probably would. Or maybe I'd be talking a lot, but whatever. It would be a jumble in my head. Later on, when John was an old man, he'd remember many of the things Jesus did. And he'd write down some of them, like this water to wine or healing a, a son who was sick from a distance with just a word or healing a man who couldn't get up at a pool in in the temple, healing a man born blind, or walking on water, or raising his dead friend Lazarus from a stinky tomb. Like pick any one of those. Any one of those things that Jesus did would make Jesus like no one else, right? If Pat did that, if Pat had a dead horse and snapped his fingers and it came back to life, we'd all be like getting his autograph, right? Well, any one of these signs would make us wonder at Jesus. And together, John calls all these things signs. Just like any sign out on the road. They point to something. They point to something greater. And that greater thing, John tells us, is Jesus himself. Jesus coming to give us eternal life. And to give it abundantly. The one who had the power to do these signs like no one else was also the one who had the power to lay down his life for his flock. John is really clear about this. When Jesus died, Jesus, John makes a point to say these words about Jesus. This is John chapter 19. He says, One of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. In Jesus in chapter 7, he said this, If anyone thirsts, Let him come to me, and let the one who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, out of his side will flow rivers of living water. Jesus spoke that of himself, because out of him would flow rivers of living water to all of us who are thirsty for true life. Living water, the best wine at the best wedding feast ever, here today, a foretaste of the feast to come. In the company of the Lord who pours out the wine of his blood for us. This is what the sign points to. And we can all say, thank you, Jesus. The end. That could be the end. That is beautiful. That's why we're here, to gather for that. But this sign also makes us think about what what we will do in our lives. How will we live? Think for a moment about this sign in Cana. Could the sign, could the miracle have been done without the volunteers? Who says, yeah, Jesus could have done that? Who says, no, he required the volunteers to fill up? Who thinks it's a trick question? All right. Well, yes, he could have, and no, he couldn't, because he chose to use volunteers. He chose to use workers. He told them, fill it up, fill up the water jars. Maybe even refill them. People have been putting their hands in there. We don't want to drink that. Dump it out. Put new water in. Get 120. Get 180 gallons of new water. Don't be afraid to start over. Fill them up all the way to the brim. Don't worry about spilling it. Fill it up. Fill up the water jars. You know, Going to church sometimes, even when you're tired from a Bill's victory, thank God it's a victory and not a defeat, sometimes Caring for our aging parents, but getting to church anyway, or sometimes knowing that someone at church has disappointed you and you're not really excited to see them, but still coming to church, it can feel stupid. It can feel like a waste of time. But it's filling the jars with water because we need what Jesus will do here. Another thing, reading along in your Bible, trying to pick it up like daily bread. And keep it on going when you don't know the names, you don't know the stories. You can't pronounce Zerubbabel if your life uh, uh, depended on it, right? But doing that is filling the jars with water. As you look at your savings account and the thing that you want to buy, the thing you want to pay off, but deciding to tithe and to give alms to the Lord, to give God the best and let him take care of the rest, that's hard but that's putting water in the jar. Or joining your brothers and sisters like you all did for the nativity, one more crazy outreach event, thinking, I could just stay home, it'll be fine without me. But stepping up and doing it, that is putting water in the jar. All of these and so much more can feel like a waste of time. But Jesus uses these common, everyday acts of faith so at the, at the wedding at Cana, Jesus chose for the volunteers to have a part in the water and to wine miracle. Obviously, the power and the glory belong to Jesus, right? But the signs point to him, not to the volunteers. We know that. That's why it's crazy and hilarious that he uses them, that he uses us. All right, so stick with me. I just want to wrap up this part here. At this sign and most of the signs in the Gospel of John and most of the signs or the actions of God in our life, there's a moment of faith, a moment of testing where it's really, really hard and you think Jesus is crazy. But you're going to do it anyway. And then there are moments that follow after that. At Cana, the servants weren't excited about filling those jars up with water. But then there became a time when they got to share what Jesus had done. At Cana, it was enough wine for everybody in the village. You know, I don't think it's an accident that John tells us that there were six water jars. At this time, Jesus is a brand new rabbi. From chapter one, John chapter one, we can see that Jesus has six disciples. He's taken six disciples with him there to this wedding at Cana. It's half the crew of 12 that will come. Six disciples. Six huge jars of water turned to wine. A coincidence? Thank you. I agree. Maybe it's a reminder that Jesus has an abundance for them to share. Later, Jesus would do another sign, another feast, feeding 5,000 with just five loaves, two pieces of fish, And the twelve disciples gathered up twelve baskets of bread. A coincidence, Sean? I think not. (laughs) I think it was a reminder that Jesus has an abundance for them and for us to share. Jesus is super abundant. Say that word. Super abundant. Jesus is super abundant. He gives us the best wine for the wedding, more than enough bread to satisfy thousands, and he involves us in the sharing of his gifts. At the wedding, the volunteers drew out the water. At first, they were a little afraid. And eventually, they became hilariously happy. Like, they knew where it came from. And Jesus calls us to his superabundant self to share with the world. To share happily, like those servants, what's good. Just like we rave about the bills. Or we rave about our favorite restaurants. We rave... This is what we're called to do, is to rave about the goodness of our Lord, his superabundant love. You can't see it, but there is a jar out there with your name on it, a jar of the best wine for you to draw out of and to share. And you can't see it, but there's a pile of bread for your basket. It's more than you need, enough to share. And so Jesus, get this, he is going to bless the world. He is. He is going to bless the world, no doubt. That's what he does. So, our prayer is that it would be to you and through you and through our whole church because he is super abundant, full of blessing. Now, may the peace of God, which passes all our understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Having heard the word of